While you're still standing, if you could find in your Bibles Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We looked at the parable of the lost sons last week in Luke chapter 15. And now we turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Let me read our text. I hear then the word of God from this gospel of Luke. He also said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. And so, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is God's word for us this morning. Uh, you may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word, uh, that your word is truth. And we thank you for your spirit who gives us the ability to read your word rightly. I pray that your gospel would shine uh, very clearly as we look at your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week we looked at the parable of the lost sons, one of the most famous parables, probably one of the most uh, well-known and and told over and over again parables. And uh, Luke follows it with what has been called uh, the most neglected parable uh, in the Gospel of Luke and perhaps in the Gospels in general. Uh, you, as you know, in this church, we love preaching through whole books of the Bible, and one reason we do that is so that we look at Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. Uh, there's some legitimate questions in this text uh, that I, uh, Lord willing, I hope we can uh, handle together uh, as we study this passage. Uh, but as we do that, and, and, and I promise we will do that, uh, we don't want to lose uh, the forest for the trees, as they say. And so let me start us off with, the, with what I think is the main point, and then we'll work our way back up to the main point. Uh, the main point of the sermon this morning is wisely steward worldly wealth. Wisely steward 
worldly wealth. Uh, You can see that this section and a few sections after this, uh, Jesus talks about money. He talks about wealth. In fact, uh, Jesus talks about money quite a bit. Um, uh, even if we get a little queasy sometimes in the church, we shouldn't. Uh, money is such a huge part of what we have to deal with every day, our jobs, uh, the, the wealth that's in front of us, how to use it for God's glory. And so how do we think about uh, wealth? Uh, and if, if, I pray if you get nothing else out of today, I do believe that Jesus wants to transform your relationship with the wealth that he's given you. Um, there's legitimate questions here and applications and nuances, but if, if you could walk away with a paradigm shift or a reminder of a paradigm shift, what's my relationship to the wealth that God's given me? And as we'll see, it's one of stewardship. Uh, to get at that, uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife and I were uh, at a church in Jacksonville, and as I started getting ready to uh, move toward a uh, ordination in the OPC. We moved over uh, to what is now our church, and uh, Amy was working full-time, and I was trying to finish school, and so I took a job at the airport uh, in the rental car industry, um, and I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, once you got used to the DOS operating system of the computer and things like that, uh, it's a pretty enjoyable job, um, and interesting to see sort of the ins and outs of that. Uh, but what, what I was surprised by is even here in Medford, uh, you know, we... It, Medford's growing, but we still think of ourselves as sort of the small town in the middle of the valley. And you would have these businessmen and women who would come through and fly into Medford and rent a car on their company dime and have like one meeting and then fly back out from Medford. And I'm thinking, you know, how much this costs to do that, right? And, and I'm thinking you're flying into Medford to do that, um, which is great. Uh, that, that shows that we're, our economy's growing. But uh, think about the dynamic. A, a business person uh, comes and they pick up a rental car, and when they drive off the lot, what do they think? I have this new car. It's mine. No. In fact, if they did that, it would be unfaithful. No, they're, they're meant to be a steward. Uh, especially because it's on the company dime. So they know if I don't take care of this car, if I don't bring it back with the gas tank full, they're going to charge me the extra you know, 20 cents per gallon. And so I need to steward this well. I've been gifted this for a time. How am I supposed to use it uh, in a way that would please my manager? Uh, Christian, I want to argue, and I think we'll see in this text, that that's the kind of relationship that we're supposed to have with the good things that God has given to us. Uh, They are given to us temporarily, and they're not even ours. They belong to uh, uh, he to which everything belongs. He has lent us these things for a time to be used for a purpose. And so what would it look like to steward the things God's given us for his glory? So let's look at that together. Uh, With three points, will help us move through the text. We'll look at verses 1 through 9, which is the parable itself, and Jesus' application. That's probably where most of our questions come out. And point number one is simply this, a stewardship, not security. Stewardship, not security. If we're to wisely steward worldly wealth, what does that look like? It looks like stewardship. It doesn't look like finding our ultimate security in the wealth that God has given us. Uh, But to get there, um, we have to look at this parable, uh, this parable of the dishonest manager. And uh, it's, it's interesting. It's always fun when you're supposed to preach on a passage and the first line in every commentary sounds something like this. Few passages in the gospel 
can have given rise to so many different interpretations as the parable of the prudent steward. Thank you, commentator. Or few passages of Scripture have caused as much confusion as this parable. Uh, Or, as I mentioned earlier, this parable has been called one of the strangest stories that Jesus tells, and no other parable has caused as much perplexity and has received as many interpretations as this one. And so perhaps in your reading plan, at some point in your life, you've come across this parable and had some legitimate questions. Uh, If you're comfortable writing in your Bible, maybe you have some question marks right there on the page. And so how do we read this parable? Let Let me lay out some of the details of it. Uh, and just remind us and, and raise some of the questions, and then we'll look at how do, you, how do you handle when you come to a passage like this, even on your own. Uh, so you know the details of the parable here. There's a rich man, a, 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 an owner of some sort, and he has a manager. Now, a manager, that word here in the Greek is, is kind of like that word we were just using, a steward, uh, someone who is uh, called upon to steward the goods of another. Uh, usually a, maybe a household or a business. Uh, you know, think of if you've ever house sat for somebody, right? You never think like, oh, I have this amazing house. Like you get to borrow it, you steward it, you take care of it. In this case, there's a rich man who has this manager or steward. Charges are brought against him that he's been wasting his possessions. Uh, that's actually the same word as the younger son who went away and squandered his possessions. Here, this manager, this steward, isn't doing what he's called to do. He's wasting it. And so uh, you can see in verse 2, uh, the owner calls him to him and questions him. And he basically says, you're done. That's it. You, have, you need to turn in an accounting. And that's it, right? Leave the keys at the door um, or whatever it would be for them. And so verse 3, you could see the desperation. Uh, the manager says to himself, what shall I do uh, since the manager is taking the management away from me. Uh, I'm not strong enough to dig. I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know if he literally can't dig. Um, and I'm too ashamed to beg. So I've decided what to do. Verse 4, here's the plan. Uh, when I'm, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Uh, do you get the, the dilemma first? He's about to lose his job. Uh, in this day and age, it wasn't sort of as simple as like, okay, I guess I'll switch careers um, and, and go to the job fair. Uh, this would be a detrimental thing. And so he's thinking, what, what do I do? I'm not going to have an income anymore. How do I survive? Uh, so he's thinking of the future in that sense. Uh, and so he says, this is what I'll do. Um, so he summons his master's debtors one by one. And, um, it, and, and we saw what happened. They come, they owe the master a certain amount, and he has it you know, cut in half or not quite half. And so he sends them away. Presumably they're happy, uh, right, having their uh, bill cut uh, down. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the phone companies that, are, you know, if you switch to us, we'll cut your bill in half and we'll add all these other fees. But in this case, there's no other fees. They're just cut in half. They get to go home happy, uh, knowing none the wiser. Um, and we come to verse 8. And perhaps this is where our questions come. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So perhaps a question in your mind is, that's surprising. (laughs) We've seen a dishonest manager called out for his dishonesty, and then he seems to have kind of just acted dishonestly, um, and he's commended for it. Uh, Commended means praise. It's praiseworthy. So that's a question we have. Uh, And then it keeps going, uh, Jesus' words, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in the dealings with their own generation than the sons of light. 
And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, you may receive, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, praise the Lord that Jesus says things that surprise us, right? Praise the Lord that we come to words of Jesus and we say, what do you mean, Jesus? <laughs> um, we're in good company, right? Did the disciples always understand what Jesus was teaching every time? No. And of course, the Spirit came in fullness, and, and we have the rest of the New Testament to interpret, uh, but we're still going to come to difficult passages uh, in our Bible reading. And so let me, uh, let me first say, how, how do we handle hard passages? Uh, number one, I'll give you a step-by-step. Number one, you pray. You should be praying every time you read your Bible. We need the Spirit to illuminate. Number two, you read it and reread it and take notes and underline things. Number three, you want to try to come to what's the main point of this text? Because usually, not always, but usually our questions uh, relate maybe to the main point, but usually we can understand, okay, what's the big picture of what Jesus is trying to teach us here? So that when I go back to these tough questions, I kind of know, okay, what's Jesus saying here? He's obviously talking about wealth. Um, He's talking about using it wisely, verses 10 through 13. Okay, I get that. I can't love God and money. I need to be faithful with my wealth. So I need to think of all that big picture as I come to these legitimate questions in the text. And then you can turn to a good study Bible or, or other, uh, you know, or, or call uh, Cole Brumley up specifically and just ask him about it. And, and he'll take all the hard questions for the whole session. Um, but it, you study it. But it, that order is important. You pray, you read, you say, what's the main point? And then we come back and study it. Uh, on top of that, we have to know how to read parables. Parables are these interesting fictional stories that Jesus tells, and it can be easy to misread them. Uh, actually, from, from the parable last week, uh, I came across uh, uh, these couple quotes, and um, I hope you find it funny like I do. If not, that's okay. Uh, but it, it, to me, this is written as maybe like a seminary professor who's a little bit disgruntled because he's gotten a million sort of wacky ideas about how to apply the parable of the, of the lost sons from last week. But he makes some good points, right? So when we read parables, we need to remember a couple things. They're, they're not exhaustive. So one parable isn't trying to tell you maybe 10 different theological truths. They're, they're much more focused than that. Number two, they're not to be allegorized in the sense that we don't want to find every little detail points to exactly this or exactly that. Um, and and we, we can give examples of that in just a minute. Uh, but here's what this author has to say. Uh, for instance, last week when it talks about uh, the son coming home and while he was still far off, the father sees him, the commentator says, the question of how the father could have seen his son a long way off could be answered easily. Jesus, the teller of the parable, wanted him to. In other words, Jesus is writing this to make a point, right? Or, or later when the older son is in the field, the question of why the brother was in the field uh, and not home could be easily answered. For the sake of his parable, Jesus wanted him in the field, <laughs> right? We don't want to over-speculate, right? Uh, or why does the older brother, uh, older brother react this way? Uh, Jesus did not tell us. As a result, it's illegitimate to question the thinking of this fictional character. Fictional characters do not exist and therefore cannot think. (laughs) I just think he must have been bombarded that week. Uh, Just for for one more here. Um, uh, The question has been raised how the older brother responded to his father's words. The question loses sight of the fact that this is a parable, i.e. a work of fiction. 
uh, there was no real older brother. <laughs> Jesus did not want this character to respond, and he ceased to exist after Luke 15, 32. <laughs> Um, so it, it, a little bit silly how he's putting it, uh, but here's the thing. P- parables are fictional stories that Jesus told that have a laser focus on usually one key element or behavior uh, that Jesus then points to and makes a larger point. And so as we read the parable of the dishonest manager, uh, we have to work backwards and say, what's the main point that Jesus is trying to make here? And then why did he tell this parable as he told it, Right? So a a big question we have is, why would this dishonest manager be commended? Why would he be commended? Uh, And we have to think, well, how does Jesus use parables? Uh, If you, you can either just listen or you could turn over to Luke 18. And we looked at this parable a few uh, months ago. It's the parable of the persistent widow. And remember, the persistent widow keeps coming to, uh, it's actually the same word, to this unrighteous judge right? Um, and, and, and she keeps asking, keeps asking, and then eventually even this unrighteous judge gives the widow what she wants. And look at verse 6. It says, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? In other words, Jesus in parables is willing to use even sinful and unrighteous actions and laser focus in on some aspect Uh, There, he's saying, if even this unrighteous judge, how much more so the righteous judge, God, how much more will I hear you? In other words, it's not out of bounds that Jesus would show us a dishonest manager doing dishonest things and then focus on some aspect of this behavior and apply it to the disciples. And so let's get to that. In verse 8, when it says, the master commended the dishonest manager, I think we're still in the parable here, The, the master, the owner on some level, commends the dishonest manager. And we're meant to be surprised by this, right? He's, about to f- he's firing this man, and he's, the, man, the master is surprised uh, that he sort of finangled things in such a way uh, that he's going to be set up even with being fired. And so the word shrewdness is used there. Uh, shrewdness uh, has a negative connotation, usually in the Greek, but it could also have a positive connotation of being wise. And so here we see the owner is commending the dishonest manager for being shrewd, right? But then we get Jesus' words here. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Uh, do you see the comparison Jesus is now making? Uh, he's not saying you should be dishonest just like this dishonest manager, right? Sort of the ends justify the means. He's saying it, it, if even this dishonest manager used his dishonest shrewdness with the future in mind, saying, I'm going to be fired. I'm not going to have a job. I need to do something with urgency. How much more so? How much more so the sons of light? Do we need to be shrewd, wise in dealing with the wealth that God has given to us? Or in verse 9, he continues it. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That's a puzzling sentence, of course so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, I think we rightly question, Jesus, what do you mean? (laughs) Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, right? Uh, So if you just wrote that sentence down and said, the main point of of the lesson today is to go make friends by unrighteous wealth. That's it. (laughs) 
Uh, no, what is Jesus saying here? If even this dishonest manager used his dishonest shrewdness to secure for himself a future in a very selfish way, how much more so do you need to rightly use, wisely use the wealth that God has entrusted to you with your eternal dwelling in mind? And that's where we'll see in a minute, verses 10 through 13, start to push in that direction. If you're faithful in little, you'll be entrusted much. Uh, if, if you're faithful here and now, you will be entrusted uh, then uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, of course, some questions still remain for us, but I hope we can get to the the main point here that Jesus is calling us to use our wisdom with the things that God has given us, the wealth that he has entrusted to us. And number one, that means unlike the dishonest manager, we don't look to our wealth as our ultimate security. Uh, We we don't, like the dishonest manager, sort of finagle things in such a way that we'll be comforted and secure one way or another, sort of as a means of, or as an end in of itself. And number two, as we think of applying this, uh, number one, we said this is stewardship that we have in mind, not security. Number two, stewardship, not self-interest. Not self-interest. And of course, we see that self-interested um, uh, a dishonest manager. Unlike the young son who realizes, wakes up, goes home, and begs for mercy, the dishonest manager says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to secure my own future by whatever means necessary. But Jesus in verses 10 through 12 sort of dispel any notion that he's trying to teach us to be dishonest with our wealth. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Uh, do you see the, the parallelism here? That those who are faithful in a little, uh, those who are faithful in the unrighteous wealth, those who are faithful in things that are not their own. Again, this idea of stewardship. What's our relationship to the wealth that God's given us? It's little in comparison, in comparison to the infinite riches that we'll experience in the new heavens and the new earth, first in just the presence of God and his goodness, but certainly the rewards he gives us. It's little. It's unrighteous, not in the sense that the way we've procured it is unrighteous, but it, it's, it's worldly. We're dealing with uh, worldly wealth. Uh, just like the coins, if you still have coins in your house somewhere, uh, are literally kind of dirty and grimy we're dealing with this wealth just like anyone else. And it says that which is not your own. Just like that rental car. We have been uh, given on loan the things that God has given us. Those who are faithful in the little, unrighteous, not our own, uh, will be given that which is much, that which is the true, the true riches, that which is, which is our own, as he rewards us in the new heavens and the new earth. And the same is true. Those who are unfaithful in these same things will not be given eternal rewards, but indeed will be a shut out of God's presence. And so this is the sort of ultimate end that Jesus is pointing to. But how could we be unfaithful in the things that God has given us? Of course, we think like the dishonest manager, you know, scheming is the main way that people are dishonest. We could think of uh, owners of companies and others who have uh, misused their power and position to gain wealth for themselves. Uh, We think of the dishonest manager here doing just that. So we think of explicit greed, uh, not thinking that 
we often do this ourselves on such a smaller scale, you know, tipping the scales this way or not reporting this or, uh, you know, turning in reimbursements that are inflated. We're not like those, you know, Fortune 500 guys and women that are exploiting, you know, we're just kind of taking what's owed to us, right? So there could be a scheming. There could also be a squandering, which we saw in the younger son, and of course he came to repentance. Thinking of the rental cars that I came in contact with, you know, 90% of people would rent the car, return it, you know, we'd clean it, but it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Uh, but every once in a while, you would get someone who uh, you'd pull it up on the computer and realize that they've had the car for two months and it was a one-day rental, and you just know when that car finally does come back, sometimes it's towed back, that it's going to be completely trashed, um, sort of inside and out. Uh, because that person didn't have a sense that uh, this car was on loan to them. They know that the very credit card company that they're going to keep dodging the payments for is going to have to pay for it in some sense. And so that car would come back often unusable, uh, just squandered, wasted, uh, this gift that had been given. Of course, we can do this. But we can also be unfaithful, not just by scheming or squandering, but by disinterest. By disinterest. I think sometimes we as Christians, we, uh, we think of the wealth and the money that God's given us. Uh, we know that it can tend toward sin and greed, and so we just sort of distance ourselves and, and say, I'm not really going to handle that at all. <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to think about investing it, I, I, maybe out of fear or maybe out of guilt or out of a fear of what can happen. We can almost have a um, an unbiblical view where money itself, right? How often do we quote that passage from 1 Timothy? Uh, let's see if this rings in your ears. Money is the root of all evil. Is that the right quote? Help me out. Uh, the love of money uh, is the root of all kinds of evil. So the weight of it is the same, and I think we rightly hear the weight of it, right? Uh, riches do tend toward certain kinds of sins, uh, but it's, it's the love of money, uh, not the money itself. Uh, Jesus has called us to, uh, to give and to serve and to use our goods. I mean, remember earlier in Luke, uh, it mentions the women who provided for Jesus out of their means, right? And then in the early church, even as they had all things in common, they were meeting in house churches. There had to be houses for them to meet in, <laughs> right? And it's not like Paul would go to the house church and be like, well, you really shouldn't have this house, but since you have it, uh, we'll meet here. No, we're, we're called to, God has put things in our hands. We are called to, with open hands, offer them back up to him and say, God, would you use everything you've given me for your kingdom, uh, not for my own? And so stewardship, not self-interest. And, and lastly, stewardship, not slavery. And this really literally gets to the heart of the issue. In verse 13, he, he makes the simple comparison, you can't serve two masters. You're going to hate the one and love the other or vice versa. You cannot serve God and money. And so even as we're called to use the things God has given us, what happens when we instead serve the very thing that God has given us? What happens when it becomes our master and of course, we think, well, I don't, I don't love money. <laughs> In fact, money kind of stresses me out. 
So I, I don't have to worry about this, right? But take a step back and say, well, what does money bring? Comfort, and these aren't bad things, comfort, security, food, <laughs> that's a good thing. So think of the things that money is, is bringing, enjoyment, all of these things, gifts of God. And perhaps it's actually one of those things <laughs> that, that we're loving ultimately, right? That if, if, if I could just have material comfort and security sort of at all costs, that, that's the thing I need. Not realizing that God is willing to be our God and our help and our comfort even in the midst of great loss. And so we can have a love of money even if we don't say it. That We're too smart to say it that way. But we can have a love for the things that money brings us when those funds are sort of just flowing inward uh, to us and our own. But, but you, he, Jesus says you cannot, you're, you're not able to serve God and money. We think we can do it, right? Uh, I used to work with students in my ministry, and they would talk about, oh, yeah, I spent all of Saturday writing a two-page paper because uh, I put Netflix on because I like to have stuff on in the background. And I sat down, and I just really focused, and I wrote my paper. <laughs> and so uh, the screen is on, and, and the screen or paper is in front of you, and you're sort of going back and forth between them. And, and really, there's this myth of multitasking. The human brain doesn't really multitask. Um, and I know some people will take me to task on that who are great multitaskers. But what your brain's actually doing is just switching between things. And some of us are much quicker at switching between things uh, than some others of us. And so your, your mind is going from here and here and here and here. Uh, we think we can do it. We think we can hold sort of our ultimate comfort and security and, and the things that God's given us and, and put all of our hope there. But no, 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 God's first in my life. But I'm just going to kind of hold that here and I'm going to kind of hold it, you know, pick an eye, right? And so Jesus is saying, you cannot do it. And I think Jesus is saying, this is in some ways the whole point of this whole parable. Uh, Jesus wants you to have a right relationship with the things that he's given you. He wants you to receive them with great joy, uh, to hold them with an open hand, and to ask him to use them for his kingdom, whatever the cost. Uh, if, if, if our heart is changed toward these things, then all of a sudden God can use, right, just like that first Peter passage. He uses our gifts. We're stewards of the gifts he's given us, which includes the money, the wealth that God has put in our life, whether large or small. And that's our calling. And we do this because we serve the one who did this himself. We serve Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, became poor. Uh, though he had uh, everything, and, and, and he didn't have to come to earth as a human being. Uh, that was something he freely chose to do, uh, freely chose to, to live out uh, the plan of, of that God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus cooked up before all eternity passed, and he emptied himself, coming in the form of a servant. And he went to the cross. And who did he go to the cross for? He went to the cross for dishonest managers like you and I who have squandered the good things that he's given us, who have wasted it, who have been just disinterested or have, like a black hole, we've sort of let them come in just back on ourselves. But Jesus came to do away with the guilt of that dishonest management to even more so. I mean, imagine this parable. Imagine the master coming and saying, I not only forgive you, 
but stop scheming about finagling your way. No, no, no. I've actually just paid all the debts of those debtors. I've paid your debts and all the ledgers uh, that was in uh, the red. It's now black. And even more so, I am reinstituting you as a steward. I'm going to gift more things to you that they would be used for my glory. I'm not finished with you yet. That's the story of the gospel, that he does away with the guilt. Uh, and then he equips us uh, for the ministry ahead. Uh, he fixes us up and says, let's go. There's ministry to do. How will he not graciously give us all things? If, if God the Father gave us the greatest gift in Jesus Christ, he will give us all things and an ability to live it out. And so as I pray and as we close, let's, let's anew give our hearts and our lives to Jesus, including our wealth, including our gifts, including everything he's given us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, that your word surprises us because it is written through the Holy Spirit. It is your voice, Lord, coming, breathed out for your people for such a time as this. I pray, Lord, that we would be wise with the things that you have given us, uh, that we would not love them in and of themselves, but we would hold them uh, lightly uh, before uh, your face. I pray that we would uh, give them to you constantly. Would you see fit to use the gifts and graces that you have given us here in this church uh, for your glory? Uh, We pray that they would be used so that the kingdom would grow. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.